Sporting Goss with Tim Gossage. That it is on this Thursday. Thanks for your company on SEN Spirit 621. Hello to everyone in the southwest. They'll be uh, champing at the bit, I'm sure, waiting on a COVID clearance that we may get today. We might have a better idea about what's happening on Saturday going forward. It's three past ten. Tim Gossage with you, Sporting Goss. Big show coming up. We are waiting to hear from the Fremantle Football Club. If you've missed it, the Fremantle-Carlton game, despite uh, a lot of talk about being Launceston or GMHBA Stadium, it will be MCG Saturday night as part of a double header at the venue. What are your thoughts, Frio fans? 13 12 55, the number, or 0487 736 736. We here at SENWA put out a poll for Frio fans this morning, and we asked fans of Frio, are you excited about a rare appearance at the MCG Saturday night? At the moment, 68% say yes, 32% say no. You can get onto our SENWA Twitter and vote right there. Of course, the WAFL is in a holding pattern as well, postponed this week's fixtures because of the uncertainty and the WAFLW grand final between Swans and Peel also on hold. Simon Hill will join us, host of the global game. Eight teams left in Euro 2020. Ben Damon. Main Event TV will join us. Michael Zarafa, or as Gilly would say, he doesn't. Well, he doesn't say. He doesn't say. He doesn't say. Michael Zarafa, does he? What does he say? Obviously, not on top of your game today, Alex. What does Gilly say when we talk about Michael Zarafa? Wow. Wow. We. I'm led to believe it's on a different button bar, so we've caught him on off guard. All right. No dramas. We well, might want to include it because I'm telling you what, it's going to get a good run. Yes, we'll have a bit of fun with that. Brett Phillips, hopefully from the first serve, will talk to us about uh, the great win. I wake up in the middle of the night listening to Wimbledon, the live feed of Wimbledon in my earpiece. And uh, fantastic stuff by Nick Kyrgios to Umber to get past uh, one of the uh, top uh, 32 seeds and uh, get the job done in a big fifth set. So he goes through to the second round. He spoke beautifully too post-game as well, post-match, should I say. So, look, we've got plenty happening, really got a lot happening. If you want to get in touch with us here at the Sporting Goss, 13 12 55 or 0487 736 736. If you are a Frio fan... Let us know your thoughts about Saturday night MCG. And one I can guarantee you will be hearing all the action on AFL Nation. Ross Lyon, very bullish last night. Very stroppy. He's even even pulled out a bit of Trump. He's pulled out the fake news. Here he is, footy classified. Ross Lyon getting very uppity last night about his coaching uh, future with either Carlton or Collingwood. Ross, a few weeks ago, was mentioned, I think Sam McClure said he felt Ross was the favourite to take on the Carlton job, should, be, should there be a change at the top there. And this caught my eye, or well, my ear, in fact, on 3AW this morning. 
cross line to Carlton, it's getting stronger. The trap, the well, there's, there's, there's a l- very strong talk that Ross Lyon will be the next coach at Carlton. You, you and I have both had separate conversations with mm. people who we think would know. Um, it's particularly strong. And, of course, we've got Matthew Pavlich on that um, review panel. We've got Luke Ball, another old friend, on the Collingwood coaching review panel, which is a different panel. That's to select the coach. You said you'd take a call from Collingwood. We read today in the age... <laughs> no, no, hang on. I said out of respect, if an AFL club talks to you, you listen. So it's a big difference. You might be a bit stiff if two of your old players are actually picking... I'm no coach. chance, to be honest. Can I just put a full stop on this? Collingwood I'm going to put a full stop on this. I can categorically say I have had no contact from anyone at the Carlton Football Club or the Collingwood Football Club. That is fake news and I haven't reached out to anybody. So at some point, can we all just move? And it's incredibly disrespectful. There's a review going on. No one understands the stress of the job. David Teague and his family, and they had a win last week. I just think it's cheap. I don't like it. And he thinks they would know. You know what? Apply some rigour and make sure they know. Pretty strong words from Ross Lyon. Just a small twist in that response. He may not have spoken to Carlton and Collingwood, and he certainly hasn't reached out to Carlton and Collingwood. But what he's not said is maybe his management has done so. Maybe his management on his behalf, because you don't really, in the initial stage anyway, go direct to the person. Normally you're, with Ross's situation, his outlet would be, hey, I'm interested, but I'm not going to ruffle feathers. I don't want to look like I'm treading on toes out of respect. And that bit I absolutely 100% agree with him. There is a review going on in Carlton. Of course, the Collingwood situation is different. But what is left out of that conversation and that very robust defence is, one, he doesn't categorically deny that he would take the job if given the opportunity. He just says he hasn't reached out and he hasn't spoken to anyone direct from Carlton and Collingwood. But Ross Lyon has a manager who would be doing the heavy lifting for him if that's happening. But if Ross Lyon was to come out and say, I will not be coaching Carlton and Collingwood, then yes, Ross, will put a full stop to it. But until then, it won't go away. Welcome to the media, Ross. Sean Burgoyne, he spoke on AFL 360 about leaving Port Adelaide and now being at Hawthorne and reaching the stunning, and it is a stunning milestone in the modern era, 400 games. Do you ever close your eyes and think, or is it too far gone about what happened at Port Adelaide? Or is is that too far gone in your life now, what, 12 years ago? (laughs) No, I was... Things happen for a reason. Um, we had, I had nine years there, played over 150 games and a flag, and um, I've got some great memories. And the, the tough times, I look at them and I have a smile as well because, you know, whether you win or lose, you, you form bonds. And I pretty much, I, will, I can't think of any teammates back at Port Adelaide who I couldn't ring up and have a beer with or couldn't go around and have a, have a chat with. Um, I left on pretty good terms with all the players there, and even the coach, Choco, is still a good friend of mine as well. So um, it was just time for a change. and. Um, we did that. This week when you've been in the company of the other 400 game players, so Boomer Harvey's the most recent and Dustin Fletcher and Kevin Bartlett and Michael Tuck, does the immensity of what you're about to do 
Can you sense it? <laughs> Can you feel it? No, I saw those guys the other day. Um, those guys are legends of the game. They're all icons of the game and no way should I have my name mentioned with those guys ever. <laughs> That's a bit embarrassing um, to have those guys, you know. They're, they're, they're um, apart from, you know, Tucky and, and, and Kevin, who are probably a bit before my time, there's other two I watched play as a young kid and um, I think they gave me a bit of a goal to, if they can play that long into, you know, what, they're 39, 40, so can I. Um, and, you know, you, you need role models and you need goals to aim for, and that's what they provided. Last one before me, before yeah. we move on. I know you don't like talking about yourself. Every time we ask for a question, you talk about the team and the club, and it, it says a lot about your character. But if there's one word that you would describe yourself as a footballer, <laughs> what would it be? Oh, that, that's a tough one. Um, for me, I'll, I'll probably just if I could be dependable or, you know... Reliable, like, dependable. Reliable, dependable. That's what I wanted from my teammates. They know that they could trust me in, in those big games. And I think if you look, ask my teammates what they thought of themselves as well, that's probably one thing that they would have liked about themselves as well. So, You're forever the, You are yeah. forever the team person. <laughs> there it is there, Sean Burgoyne on uh, AFL 360 last night. So we are hearing that the Fremantle game on Saturday night will be at the MCG against Carlton, not GMHBA Stadium in Geelong. So bottom line is Carlton don't have to travel. And I don't think, albeit Fremantle probably won't say publicly, I think they'll be genuinely disappointed with that. It is their Fremantle home game. What are your thoughts? 13 12 55 or text me 0487 736 736. Hey, Goss, disgrace. Frio have been pushed aside. Thank you, Mark, on our text, 0487 736 736. Gina says, stand up, Frio, refuse to play. You said it was your home game. You didn't mention MCG. 0487 736 736. And Paul, also texting, really strong. Stop your whinging, Frio. You don't get to the MCG often. You won't be there finals time. Take it or leave it. Wow. <laughs> Pretty harsh going on. Hey, come on, everyone. We're all a bit uh, antsy today. 0487 736 Just a reminder to all those who have texted in, let us know where you're texting from. Always nice to put a, an area to our listening audience. We'll get a breakaway. Hopefully we'll be chatting with the Fremantle Dockers shortly. We are waiting on confirmation from them in regards to their response. We're led to believe they are in a meeting at the moment to discuss going forward. A spokesman from the Dockers not too far away. Scott Baker will join us from the WAFL. Simon Hill talking about Euro 2020. Ben Damon about the, well, Michael Zafara. What? Zafara and Tim Zoo at the yes. moment. We, we'll catch up with Michael Zafara later on, won't we? <laughs> We won't be catching up with Michael Zafara or Michael Zarafa as well. Hey, we've got a newbie to our lineup too. On Thursdays, Life of Riley is going to join us every Thursday to look ahead to the Saturday race meeting. Riley Morgan, uh, a lot of racing people know him as a young man who's got a real good eye for a winner or three. And we're going to have him as a regular guest on our Sporting Goss on Thursday, looking ahead to the Saturday race meeting. And he'll be joining us at 1130 Today, stay with us. This is Thursday's edition at 14 past 10 of the Sporting Goss. Welcome back to Sporting Goss on this Thursday. Thanks for your company. Plenty happening and we'll keep you updated with everything that moves in this COVID world that we currently live in. Plenty going on 
well, so to speak, in the WA of Fell Ranks and joining us, the Executive Manager of Waffle and Talent, Scott Baker. Scotty, where are you at with Waffle Footy? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, in a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. I feel like we should be doing things, but it's quite difficult when um, you don't sort of know exactly where things are at. So, um, obviously, yeah, we put the season, we postponed this weekend's games um, earlier in the week. So, yeah, the Waffle Women's Grand Final, unfortunately, has been uh, postponed. Uh, we've sort of got three three weekends to go before the uh, AFLW draft. We feel like we've got a bit of time to um, to play that one over the coming weeks. And then um, and then the Waffle, from a Waffle point of view, yeah, had to do the same for postpone this weekend's games. We'll look to um, reschedule them later in the year. Uh, and we'll start to work through that over the next uh, next few days to sort of figure out what that um, what that looks like once we have sort of. I suppose, further advice from the government um, later in the week. Yeah, not easy. And uh, as you say, it's uh, a bit a holding pattern. Uh, obviously, the difficulty for the Waffle men's is the fact is you've the alignment to appeal with Fremantle and the players being on the East Coast. And same goes for West Coast. I mean, have you been in consultation with both those AFL clubs in regards to going forward and how long's a piece of string? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I spoke to Craig Vozzo yesterday, and you know they're 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 very hopeful um, or optimistic that they might be able to come back after the weekend and uh, back to Perth. Whether that happens or not, you know who knows. But that's sort of best case scenario, and they come back, and obviously Fremantle come back, and we play next weekend um, like a normal round of waffle um, as scheduled. But um, we probably he sort of indicated they probably won't know that until over the weekend. Obviously, it depends what happens here in Perth and whether they can come back and whether another team can come back to play them. I think they're. I think is it North Melbourne? I think they're scheduled to play Correct. that following weekend in Perth, so they'd have to, you know, get through a bit of rigmarole to be able to get them into Perth. In what I suppose what the Bulldogs did. So, yeah, there's just so many logistics to play out um, before we sort of know what their what their involvement will be. But it'll come a point in time where we'll have to make a call on on what they're doing. But I suspect that'll probably be early next week. Um, we'll know what will happen with that next week, and it might be one of those ones where it's a bit week to week for a period of time potentially. Um, Obviously not ideal with planning and all that, but um, that might be what it is. That might be one option going forward while uh, hopefully things settle down across the country. Scott Baker, our guest on Sporting Goss, Executive Manager of Waffle and Talent. Do you have any fat in the season that allows you to stretch the season out if postponements continue? Not at the moment. We sort of used our um, one opportunity with the, with the earlier lockdown this year for the split round um, in July. Um, but what we'll sort of look at is, you know, you could potentially you could potentially go to top four and only have three weeks of finals, or you could look to extend the season by a week or two as well. So there are all the different options that we'll look at, and that's what I was sort of saying before. Mate, it might be a sort of a week to week thing where we continue to commit to the fixture we've got and sort of just see what happens. Um, but you know, waffle grounds, there's no sort of um, clashes with cricket and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So we do have a bit of flex where if we need to go an extra week or two to to try and get all the games done, we'll definitely look to do that. Is that all three grades? Yep. Yep, correct. Yep, yep. We'll, we'll continue to align them as best we can. Um, from a Colts point of view, potentially provides a few challenges later in the year with um, the scheduling of the national championships and stuff like that. But um, we're sort of at a point now where we're just going to have to plan our own stuff over here in Perth based on our own circumstances, I think. And then those things will just fall into place wherever they do later in the year because, you know, they're scheduled at the moment. But who knows what happens with them later in the year. So, um, yeah, we'll have to keep the three grades all together for the rest of the year. Yeah, and just one further one with Scotty Baker from the Waffle. Just the announcement, of course, that the grand final will be at uh, the the stadium, Optus Stadium. It's been well-received by all the clubs, I'm sure. Every player I've spoken to said that that's where you want to play and albeit they want a big crowd and they don't want a half-empty stadium, they're all excited about being on the big dance, uh, having the big dance at the big stage. Yeah, absolutely, Goss. Yeah, wrapped to, wrapped to have it back. Obviously, last year was a unique experience for Fremantle Overland. 
they did a fantastic job um, down there last year. Um, but to get back to um, to get back to off the stadium, that's what all the players want. That's what all the all the footy clubs want. You know, we want to we want to play our biggest game of the year at the best stadium in the in 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 the state. So we'll continue to push that. If the numbers continue that up, we'll, we'll continue to push to play there. And and hopefully this year we can uh, we can get a, a bigger crowd there and yeah, um, get all waffle fans and. All footy fans belong to the uh, to the stadiums. If we can get a big crowd there, then it helps us um, be able to achieve going there year on year. So, yeah, once we get closer to those, we'll continue to um, vote and, and push that game and hopefully, like I said, get a big crowd along. It's not ideal, but it is a sit and wait and find out what the rest of the world is doing, in particular here in Western Australia. Scotty Baker, appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. We have some breaking news for you on this Thursday edition of Sporting Goss. Sports Entertainment Group today confirmed it had signed an agreement to purchase 100% of the Perth Wildcats. Sports Entertainment Group Chairman Craig Coleman confirmed the purchase for an undisclosed sum from long-time owner Jack Bendat would proceed on July 30, subject to final NBL approval. Coleman, one of three WA-based directors of the six-person SEG board, said the Wildcats perfectly fitted the business's whole-of-sports strategy of enriching the lives of sports fans and connecting brands to fans. The Wildcats are an iconic team with a world-record 35 successive final series and even bigger champions in the community. They've been a team that served the state of WA with incredible pride and distinction and never lost sight of their impact in people's lives and the smiles on faces in the community. We will see this as a strategic investment in the sport we've already enjoyed being part of and hope to build on the incredible legacy of Jack Bendat. We pay tribute to Jack today and look forward to honouring his wishes to keep the Perth Wildcats one of the biggest success stories in Australian sport and delighting fans in our great state. SEN Chief Executive Craig Hutch said the investment came off the back of an increased presence in the sport, including a 25% stake in Melbourne United, WNBL production rights, production of NBL show overtime and various radio rights. Hutchison last night stood down as co-chairman from Melbourne United ahead of the acquisition, but said the business has proposed to dilute or divest its stake in Melbourne United. I'd also like to thank and add my respect to the wonderful basketball and business legacy of Jack Bendat, and thank him for the opportunity, Hutchison said. We believe in the growth of the story of the NBL and stand with all NBL clubs in growing the game under the leadership of Larry Kesselman. We look forward to a supporting the management of the Wildcats, continued its strong connection in the WA community, of course. So there it is there. Breaking news, the Perth Wildcats sale has officially gone through. 100% ownership of the Wildcats for SEG, the Sports Entertainment Group, of course. But just repeating that news, it's repeating the news. It still has to, and I, as I get subject to NBL approval, and proceed on July 30. So there it is. There it is. Ross of Nolamara is not happy, and we're open. I don't agree with SEN buying the Perth Wildcats. I think... Uh, Says Ross of Nolamara. Uh, good on you, Ross. Appreciate that. But anyway, each to their own. But Craig is a part of the group. He is the chief executive. And it is a, as I said, three of the six members are West Australian owned. And when we get back to that argument, for what it's worth, about the Perth Wildcats, and I think we'll have this discussion with a number of Wildcats uh, experts in the game, 
there is only three West Australian players in the group. The coaches from Victoria, uh, from the East, and obviously you have your imports as well. So don't for one think for one minute that the Perth Wildcats are wholly and solely a WA team. They are certainly are a WA uh, part of our iconic brand of WA sport. And I, I guarantee you that uh, Craig Hutchison and the SEG group will continue that wonderful legacy set up by the great ownership of Jack Bendat. Must be also remembered that the Wildcats have had a number of owners over the journey, but Jack has done a remarkable job. So just confirming, the Sports Entertainment Group has confirmed it has signed an agreement to purchase 100% of the Perth Wildcats. Undisclosed some from long-time owner Jack Bendat. It would proceed on July 30, subject to final NBL approval. It's 27 past 10. Tim Dossage with you. Let us know your thoughts. And, of course, there's always pushback, but that's life. I think the Wildcats will continue in their current format and they'll get some uh, wonderful support from, uh, of course, this network here, the SEN Network, SEG. 13 12 55 0487 But good on you, Ross. Appreciate you getting on the on the text line and letting us know, Ross of Nolamara. We still are hoping to hear from the Fremantle Football Club in regards to the news this morning that their game on Saturday against Carlton will be played at the MCG. You'll hear all the action on AFL Nation. We'll get some news away and we'll come back. We'll hear from Simon Hill, host of the Global Game on 1170 SEN. We are down to eight in the Euro 2020. Big part of what we do on SEN, of course, is the World Game. And the man who knows it better than most is our man from SEN, Simon Hill. He joins us now. and We're talking quarterfinals of the Euro. Are the best eight teams in it, Simon? Uh, that's a good question, actually. Um, given that the world champions, France, are not in it, uh, given that the reigning holders, Portugal, are not in it, uh, you'd have to say that there are one or two pretty big-name casualties. But, uh, you know, you've got to prove it on the field. And uh, the eight teams that are left have done that. So we're building towards an exciting climax. It's very interesting that one half of the draws been lopsided with probably the heavier favoured teams and in the other side of the draw, it was basically England or Germany, which is what made England's win over Germany obviously make so many headlines the other day. But, uh, yeah, getting to the pointy end of the tournament, it's exciting stuff. So let's run our eyes over the quarterfinal clashes. Switzerland and Spain, and we know that head-to-head Spain have certainly had the wood over Switzerland over a long period of time. Yeah, they have. And, look, they'll start favourites in this game, but uh, so did France against Switzerland in the round of 16. And uh, I think they surprised a lot of people the Swiss. They're a solid unit. They're a, a side that don't have necessarily too many stars, uh, but they're very well led, particularly by Granite Xhaka in midfield. Uh, and they're capable of, of causing another surprise. Spain are not the team that they were. They're going through a bit of a rebuild, but uh, the last two games, they've come good, uh, scoring 10 goals. And they've had an awful lot of criticism um, from the Spanish media and from their own supporters. Uh, before and during this tournament, particularly Alvaro Morata, who's, who's had terrible abuse. Um, but he's, he's answered them in the right way. He scored in that uh, win over Croatia, which ended 5-3. And uh, I think the Spanish will, will again start the favourites. And this would be, uh, you know, if they were to get to the semi-finals or final, this would be the best up you for, from Luis Enrique, uh, their coach. Because, again, he's, he's had a lot of uh, stick as well. 
Um, it's a difficult one to call, but I, I think I would probably say that Spain will go through to the semis. But that's only based on their experience and the fact that Switzerland haven't been in the, the knockout phases of the major tournaments since 1954. Yeah, first ever Euro meeting between the two teams, Spain and Switzerland. So we're, we're ticking off the Spanish right there. Belgium play Italy, of course. Uh, I think this is the fifth time they've met and Italy have never lost in a major tournament to Belgium. Yeah, look, this this is the big the the mouthwatering quarterfinal tie for me. Uh, the two teams who probably impress the most that are still left in the in the competition. Um, Belgium, uh, we've said this before that they've got this golden generation of players, and we thought they would have won a major trophy before now, but they haven't done. They finished third at the World Cup in Russia 2018. Um, they've got Kevin De Bruyne, they've got Romelu Lukaku, they've got Thibaut Courtois, they've got Eden Hazard, they've got Axel Witzel, uh, they've got Jan Vertonghen and Toby Alderweireld. These are, these are names that literally trip off the tongue because they play in the top leagues of the world and they are really, really good players. But this is the toughest quarterfinal they could possibly have got because Italy are, are completely reborn under Roberto Mancini. Totally reimagined. Again, a team really without stars, although they've got goals uh, through Insigne and Immobile in particular. Federico Chiesa, who scored in, in, uh, in the last round. I'm old enough to remember his father um, playing and, and scoring goals 20 years ago. Uh, so they're, they're a good side as well. So I think whoever wins this one is certainly going to go on to the final. Uh, that I'm absolutely convinced. But uh, it, it may well be that we'll get the winner out of this tie. Simon Hill, our guest on Sporting Goss, of course, a football commentator, and you can hear his stuff on the Global Game 1170 SEN, or you might even get a T-shirt too, Simon says. Uh, Czech Republic versus <laughs> versus Denmark. Um, this has got intrigue about it too, hasn't it? This is a, another one where probably the winner is well concealed. Yeah, I mean, again, two teams that have sort of sneaked through to the latter stages, unfancied really, uh, I watched the Czech Republic when they lost to England and I thought, yeah, you know, they were neat and tidy, but there was not a lot of cut and thrust about them. Um, and yet they've, they've done this before at this tournament. They, they reached the final back in 1996. They reached the semifinals in 2004, the quarterfinals in 2012. So they're well versed at getting to the latter stages, probably unheralded at this particular competition. Um, now, they're up against a Danish team, of course, that are riding this emotional wave on the back of that horrible incident mm. that happened to Christian Eriksen in the early part of the competition. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why they've gone so deep into, into these Euros. Whether they can go any further, I don't know. I, again, I think this is a 50-50 proposition, to be honest. Uh, and obviously the winner um, goes through to face either... Um, England or Ukraine in the semi-finals, which uh, you know again is is an intriguing one, a potential banana skin for England if they were to get through. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't like to be putting money on that Czech Republic Denmark game. That's for sure. Okay, so let's turn our attention to England, Ukraine. England are on this clean sheet run that they've got. This is the eighth time they've met in I think at top flight uh, world football. Ukraine and England, and England only lost once. When you look at the England lineup, Simon, Simon Hill, our guest from the Global Game, of course from SEN, is are they playing the football that can go all the way, or is there still some work to be done? I personally think they need to go up a level if they're going to win it. Mm -hmm. What they've done so far has been good enough. Um, 
and they've been very well organised. Of course, the, the big question mark against England prior to the, this tournament starting was, is their defence good enough? Everybody thought that you know the, the English attack, Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, uh, Saka, the, the, the young guys played from, from Arsenal. We had plenty of firepower, Jaden Sancho as well. But the question mark was against whether England was strong enough defensively. Now, strangely enough, the way it turned out is that they've been very, very solid at the back. And probably uh, on the flip side of that is they've lost a little bit of attacking thrust up top. So I think they probably need to correct that to a certain degree because if, if they come up against the likes of Belgium or Italy in the final, for example, if they get that far, then I think they're going to need to uh, have a better balance. They're going to need to be able to attack a little bit more. Um, but, you know, you've got to give Gareth Southgate credit. His selections have been spot on. He's left Jack Grealish, Phil Foden on the bench the last game and, and used them as impact players, and they were very, very good. Uh, on paper, they should be too good for Ukraine. Uh, but Ukraine have got some players who know the English uh, players and systems very well. I'm talking of uh, Zinchenko, the left-back, who plays at Manchester City. Andrei Yarmolenko plays at, at West Ham. Uh, and they've got you know, other good players uh, as well. They play in some of the top leagues of Europe. So it, it's, it's a very winnable tie for England, but it's, it's also a potential banana mm. skin. And they, they, they've got to be careful not to look too far ahead because everybody's going, oh, it's only Ukraine. So that's England in the semis. Well, yeah, I remember Iceland five years ago when everybody was talking about that <laughs> and we lost. All right. Spain, Belgium, Czech Republic, England. So we're down to four then into the semis. Do you want to yep. go out on, a, on, a, on, the, uh, <laughs> on the precipice right now and give me the winners of those ones and then the final? Or should we wait till uh, we get past this base? Uh, well, look, I, I'll give you a winner of the whole thing. I, I think it's going to be Belgium's time. Wow. I, I think that finally the golden generation is going to lift a, a major trophy for the first time. So I'll probably be hopelessly wrong. I hope it's England, obviously. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> hey, nice work by you. Of course, the global game on SEN, of course. Appreciate it. How are the T-shirt sales going, mate? Simon says. <laughs> yeah, they're a little bit slow, but uh, no, they're, they're going all right, actually. Uh, it's a nice <laughs> thing to do, along with uh, Rob Morrison from Striptease. So uh, it wasn't really about the money. It was, it was about a bit of fun, and yeah, um, yeah I enjoyed it. Yeah, it good on good. you, mate. Yeah, nice work. Yeah? Life is about fun, especially in the world that we're currently living in as well. Stay safe, mate. We'll chat again soon. You too, Tim. All the best, mate. He's a great man. Simon Hill, of course, you can hear him on The Global Game here on SEN. Plenty of feedback on our text line, 0487736736. Yoo-hoo, more Wildcats on the radio. Should we get the Wildcats live broadcast from games that we have had in the past but get full-time now? Don't know. I'm not privy to the media connection at all with uh, the news that the Perth Wildcats will change hands officially July 30 with NBL approval. Of course, Jack Bendat was searching for the right price and he has decided to go with the Sports Entertainment Group, which is the owners of this radio network. G'day, Goss. I feel sorry for Frio financially losing a home game, but as for worrying about where the game has been moved to, leave me out. They should be willing to play Carlton on the moon if they have top eight aspirations, says Gav from Bustleton. On the text line, could not be more excited about the Wildcats news. 
Uh, so there it is as well. So please keep the calls coming in regards to that. Just repeating the news, the Perth Wildcats, July 30. It should be approved by the NBL, the Sports Entertainment Group, of which three of the six owners are West Australian-based. So if you think that this is a purely Eastern States-owned team, you are so far off the mark. The Perth Wildcats will remain a big part of the sporting landscape. And as the people are saying on the text line today, that uh, it will only increase the media coverage that the Perth Wildcats get. And let me say that the Perth Wildcats do get a remarkable amount of media from the TV networks, also from the radio stations as well, and from the print. And that will continue. This will not be about just exclusive on SEN. But it's exciting. It's good to be a part of it. And it's great that we know the owners of the Perth Wildcats. There are so many NBL teams where the owners are not owned by people who live in our country. Let's talk a bit of boxing right now at a quarter to 11. Sporting Goss, and we've spoken to Michael Zarafa and, or as Gilly would say... Zafara and Tim Zoo at the yes. moment. We, we'll catch up with Michael Zafara later on, won't we? Yes, Zafara. Uh, and <laughs> Tim Zoo has been a guest as well on SENWA on Gillian Goss and Sporting Goss. One man who was very excited about the clash up there in Newcastle on July 7 is Ben Damon. Ben, as I welcome you to the show, well, to be honest... We weren't really expecting it was going to happen, were we? Well, I guess now that you look back on it, you think uh, maybe there were too many excuses coming through through the course of this preparation for Michael Zarafa. He uh, had an illness, of course, early on, which um, prevented him from coming to Sydney to shoot a bunch of stuff with me. And alongside Tim Zhu, um, there are a few other issues around the uh, lockdown in Melbourne when he couldn't get the right sparring in. There are a few rumours that he wasn't happy at that point, but uh, he did come back and uh, he did shoot that face-off piece with us um, last week and it all looked uh, like it was going ahead. But then with the Sydney COVID lockdown, um, they've found another reason why he couldn't make it. Um, ultimately, the reason they've come up with is because they were worried that there was going to be an outbreak in Newcastle and they'd have to do 14 days of quarantine on the way home to Melbourne. So, um, yeah, it was a, a little bit of a tricky one to get your head around there, mm. given uh, Newcastle's been a bit of a safe haven uh, in, in recent times. And there was no reason that would change when you're going into a professional sporting atmosphere like this. But, uh, yeah, they stood their ground yesterday and the fight is off. But thankfully, we've got a very willing replacement in Stevie Spark. So a really good fight still to go ahead. He's the Cinderella man or something. Is I, have I read that right? Yeah, well, that's what he said to me yesterday. He said, uh, this is your Cinderella Man story in reference to um, the movie that uh, Russell Crowe was involved in and uh, a Rocky story, if you will. He said it's his golden ticket and it is everything like that because uh, he really jumped out of the pack, Stevie Spark, when he fought on the uh, Paul Gallon against Lucas Brown undercard and he stole the show. He was brilliant in beating Jack Brubaker that night, had a really good post-fight interview as well that got everyone on side. And he said to me that that night, he met Tim Zoo and he thought, I'm going to fight you one day. And it's all come around a bit quicker than he expected. But he <laughs> says the timing is perfect for him. Don't want to harp on the beaten brigade, but is that it for Michael Zarafa in regards to fighting ever Tim Zoo, Or is it just add a bit of garnish to a possible meeting in the future? Well, I think Tim um, will still fight him. He told me this morning, look, he's still on my list. Uh, I want to hurt him now and I want to hurt him even, even more. But... Um, Promoters, they will be very, very gun-shy about working with Michael Zarafa again, I would have thought, after this one. Uh, certainly no limit who's Tim's promoter won't be working with him again 
so it, for him to uh, have a, a mainstream fight in Australia, there's only one other promoter, it's Dean Lonigan at Dean L Events. So I'm not sure of Dean's stance uh, at the moment, but uh, gee, you'd want to have a pretty solid contract if you're going to be doing anything with Michael Zarafa again. What it has done is absolutely ruined his reputation amongst the boxing public. He is getting absolutely annihilated online and everywhere at the moment, which is a real shame because he's a nice guy, but I think he's been poorly advised here or he's made a bad call because, uh, yeah, it's not really palatable what's gone on. Okay, so tell us about uh, Tim Zhu's fight uh, now, which is still going to take place in Newcastle on the 7th of July. Tell us about the opponent, what's his background and uh, what are we expecting? Oh, Stevie Spark from Toowoomba is uh, one of the stars on the rise in Australian boxing. He's only 24 years of age. He's had 13 professional fights, but he's looked really good. He stopped every one but one of his opponents, and that was when he went the distance last time out against Jack Brubaker. So uh, that's a pretty good scalp to have on a major card, as he did last time out. Jeff Fennick says that this is a harder fight than what Michael Zarafa was. Uh, he was in the opposite corner, training Jack Brubaker when Stevie Spark jumped out of the ground and won that fight last time out. And Fennick and uh, Tim Zhu believe that uh, there's more skills and more artillery from Stevie Spark. And even though he's only early in his professional boxing career, he has big things ahead of him. So um, everyone seems to really like this fight. He, he is a good character. He'll talk it up well. He'll present well. And he uh, is a very good boxer to watch as well. So he gives himself every chance of coming in for what would be a major upset. And he's right. It would be a rocky story to take a fight against the biggest name in Australian boxing on seven days' notice to save mm. the show and to come in and to beat a man who's on the cusp of a world title shot would be something else. But uh, Stevie Spark is very confident he can do just that. And also, I suppose what it does for Stevie Spark, now let's just say he's massive underdog, who's not to say he's going to last very long, whatever it may be. Hopefully he does, and and Zoo gets what he you know what he requires some some uh, ring time. But just in regards to Stevie Spark, what does it do for his um, standing in the boxing community? I know it's a tight community, but I'm sure that the people there will acknowledge that he has come off the bench, so to speak. Oh, he saved the day, no doubt about that. There are a few in the running, but he was uh, very very willing. We rang him yesterday, probably about eleven o'clock. He was doing a bit of work in a. Um, in a pub or a club that he works in, actually moving some kegs around and the like, just in between his uh, training, he goes and does a bit of work. And the call came through from his trainer and manager, and um, uh, he said, all right, I'll, uh, I'll pop over to the gym, we'll have a chat. And within 30 minutes, they'd come back and said, yep, we're good to go. So he didn't worry about uh, what was going to happen with regards to potential quarantine or this or that. And uh, He's arriving in Newcastle today to to get going. He was training last night. He's been training for a fight, so he is fit and ready to go. And he saved a lot of these fighters on the undercard. There was, um, well, there's a world-ranked fighter, a star fighter from the Philippines called Joe Noyne, who fights in the co-main event. He'd already come from the Philippines and done two weeks in quarantine in a hotel room training by himself in Sydney. He's now in Newcastle. But he was told a couple of days ago the fight might be off, and he didn't like that too much. Mm -hmm. Uh, His opponents come from Queensland in Liam Wilson. so um, And there's another fighter in Cesar Amonsot who fights Sam RC on the undercard as well who's come from Melbourne. So he got on the commercial flight that Michael Zarafa wouldn't get on. So um, they're all very relieved that Stevie Spark has stepped up and I think he'll give a good account of himself and, um, yeah, good on him. He's going to win over the Australian public, whatever happens. Yeah, good on you, mate. Well, Ben, you sound up and about, which is fantastic. So the good part is that Tim Zhu, who we know has got big picture written all over him, he does get about on the 7th of July at Newcastle. All roads lead to Newcastle and well done to Stevie Spark. Appreciate your time, mate. Thanks for chatting. 
Yeah, thanks a lot. Up and about today. Stressful day yesterday, but now we just move on to Wednesday night on main event. Bouncing back Benny Damon, we like to call him. Here it is on the Sporting Goss. Rockers are playing Saturday night at the MCG at Carlton. Here is Justin Longreal, the coach of Frio. The relocation's come at a pretty important time in your season. You know, you fast forward a couple of weeks and you're able to bank a couple of wins, you might be in the top eight. So I guess not only have you had to shift everything around, but also it's maybe the most important couple of weeks in the season. Yeah, I mean, every every week's important. Um, you know, we're under pressure as a footy club, no matter the situation, whether you're fighting for finals, fighting for top four, you know, bottom four, you always got pressure on you as a football club um, and as, as a footy team to win. So... Yeah, this week's no different. You, got, you have guys like Ethan Hughes and Young ready to come back in nearly. Um, yeah. And what's the challenge like for you guys to, to get some game time into those? Yeah, well, that's that's probably the trickiest thing. No state league footy um, in, in WA this week when they were both due to come back. So we just have to try and best prepare them to play by training and um, making sure we, as coaches, make uh, good training drills that best allow them to bridge the gap between um, yeah, rehab and AFL, um, both pretty important players to us and we'd love them back in the team, so it's a bit of a hiccup. It's only a little thing, Justin, but would you have preferred Carton to have had to get on a plane and, and get, I guess, prepared a bit more for an away game? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, I'd love to be playing them at Optus in front of the Purple Army, absolutely, but yeah, circumstances haven't allowed it. It is what it is. Sick of saying that. It's not the greatest... Um, line of all time but um, circumstances are, are what they are so we just need to get on with it uh, it's, can't yeah hope for other things that can't be done so um, yeah we just need to make sure our focus is in the right areas and we do our best on the weekend Just on Matt's role this weekend we spend more time for with Tavano no, no we think we'll play him around the midfield um, yeah it's his best position he's one of the best inside mids in the comp uh, he'll spend his time forward but yeah, the, his role prior to going out of the team was more probably 80-20 midfield forward, so we'll continue to look at that. We saw, saw Matt DeBoer tag Sam Walsh two weeks ago to you know, did a pretty effective job. We see Caleb Strong do that this weekend? Nope. Uh, we'll look at it. We'll look at it. Um, you know, last time we played Carlton, their midfield as a, as a group got, got the better of us. Um, they dominated us in a lot of areas through the midfield battle and yeah, we need to make sure we, you know Cripps doesn't get a hold of us, Kerno doesn't get a hold of us, and yeah, obviously Walsh is in really good form. So um, yeah, I think it's going to be a collective. Just the intangible of morale and energy in the group. How much does being alive in the season help your job and help keep the boys on task? Yeah, I think it's a big thing. Um, you know, like like I said before, the season's on the line. Um, we've got some real positivity out of the last two weeks. Uh, you know, our playing group is. Um, kept that energy all the way through the year but we've got something to really play for now so uh, yeah uh, yeah. hopefully that continues um, and hopefully um, you know, our players can put some of the distractions behind them and just really you know, focused on, uh, be focused on their preparation for this week 
If you don't want to know the score of Game 6 in the NBA playoffs in the Western Conference Finals, Phoenix 89, LA Clippers 76. If you don't want to know the score, it's too late now. I've given it to you. Phoenix lead 3-2. Hey, the news came through about half an hour ago, and exciting news for WA Sport. Sports Entertainment Group have confirmed it has signed an agreement to purchase 100% of the Perth Wildcats. SEG Chairman Craig Coleman confirming the purchase for an undisclosed sum from longtime owner Jack Bendat. It would proceed on July 30, subject to NBL approval. Of course, SEN Chief Executive Craig Hutchison is a part of this group, of course, and he's our boss, and he can tell us more. Hutchie, big news for WA Sport. Good morning. Good morning, Goss. Yeah, a very uh, humbling day for our business, and hopefully a great day for uh, the Wildcats in its continued quest to remain in the hearts and minds of West Australian sports fans, which it's done for so long. Uh, what, a, what an unbelievable uh, business and story that the Wildcats has been under the leadership of Jack and we we acknowledge him and pay our, our respects to his basketball legacy today and it's a very uh, exciting day to continue to enhance the great work that the Perth Wildcats have done. If it's not broke don't fix it that seems to be the call from people on social media and uh, here on SEN on our text line today is that the plan of the group? Yeah I think yeah, the Perth Wildcats is one of the most enviable sporting clubs in the world uh, not only for its 35 consecutive final series, Goss, and it's incredible efforts on the floor. But more than that, it's been a part of the WA community. It's been a part of people's lives. It remains a part of everything from schools to community visits. Uh, we, we, we unashamedly love it from the outside, and our aim will be to enhance that and to support it, uh, not, to, not to change it. And, um, you know, it's, it certainly um, is a great tip for our business because of our media interests in WA, of course, which you're a big part of with the Sporting Goss. 10 till 12 Monday to Thursday, and Gillian got six to eight Mondays and Fridays. Um, but obviously, um, our three of our six member board are West Australian, including our chairman, Craig Coleman, who's a, who's a uh, renowned WA businessman and a great family man himself. The two of our directors are from the West, our CFOs from the West. And uh, so, our, our job will be to support the team so that it can have the same run for as many years ahead as it has in the past. And, you know, Jack uh, and the team led by Troy, the CEO, and Trevor, the coach, have done an incredible job. And you know, we're certainly not here to, to disrupt that momentum. We're here to actually help it. What does it mean for the stake of uh, your 25% stake in Melbourne United and your role of there over as a co-chairman uh, with, a, with, a, with a, the champions and the arch rivals of the Perth Wildcats? What does this all mean? Yeah, so I, uh, last night I, I stood down officially as co-chair of Melbourne United. I think that's absolutely uh, necessary and was in the spirit of, of the discussions. Um, we've uh, proposed to uh, die, either dilute or divest our 25% stake in Melbourne United um, and we'll continue to work through that. And I must say the Melbourne United team have been uh, incredible to, to, um, to work through and deal with and understand that um, you know, our West Australian interests and, and the opportunity here to support the agenda was, was, was a strong one. Um, and yeah, we'd obviously you know, you know like to remain uh, involved, but we we equally understand um, that might the circumstances that might be changed and that might change and that might be you know, of other people's choosing. So we'll work through that in good faith and good spirit. We love the sport. We love the way it's going with with Larry Kesselman and and the league. And I think everyone who's a basketball fan should take great heart that the sport's being wonderfully led by Larry and Jeremy, uh, the commissioner nationally, and got a great great growth momentum. And, you know, really, Goss, so I think in, you're a great Wildcats man. I've learned a lot from you in the last year or two. Um, this team really um, flew the flag for the league 
in times when the league wasn't as strong and when there was no Larry Kesselman there. You know, it was it was recession proof almost in its in its heart and its spirit, the way it played and the way it uh, the public supported it. That's an incredible credit to the West Australian sporting public. I think what we're seeing now is that there's ten teams. We welcome the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers to the league, and there's even more uh, great games to play for Perth. Even more competition around the league. But it's been Perth who've been the envy of the other nine teams. And the aim will be that maintained. But we equally want to be able to grow the sport nationally and continue to have fantastic matches at RAC and, uh, and beyond. No doubt about that. So just repeating, the new sports entertainment group have confirmed it has signed an agreement to purchase 100% of the Perth Wildcats. Of course, uh, it will proceed July 30, subject to final NBL approval. So, Hachi, what's the, what's, uh, I know we've got to get through to that next base, of course, at the end of July, end of this month. What would be, if you were to look at it from an outsider looking in, what's one thing you would aim to improve? Would it be, the, for the want of a better meaning, the, the radio coverage, the media coverage? They do get wonderful media support here anyway uh, through all the free-to-airs and, and through all the radio networks, the newspaper all across it. How can you increase its exposure, do you think, through the radio network? Yeah, so I think, first of all, it, the Wildcats is blessed to have such great media partners and coverage in the market. You know, I look at the way the West Australian and you know all the all the television networks, Channel Nine and um, you know and Seven and Lockie Reed's work on Ten. Uh, it gets great support from the media. Um, you know, Craig Donnie does some great work in in the West Australian, and so that you know, we're we're blessed uh, to to see that and to have it. Equally, from an SEN perspective, clearly we will uh, call the games. We will get behind the team with programming and with content in Western Australia. Um, We'll connect with shows like yours, Goss, and and uh, you know the, certainly the, the team and its players have done a great job of connecting with the community, and that, that will only enhance in our world. And then obviously it's a little bit early days, but there's free agency going on at the moment. It's important to have a very competitive team, so you'll see some some news come through in the next uh, day or two on that front, and um, you know from the team, not from us. And uh, I think it's it's great that Perth continues to have a world world class championship roster on the floor. No doubt. Last one for you, Craig Hutchison, our guest, of course, SEN Chief Executive. Uh, Hutchie, just on the on the text line, people have a question here. People have to remember that Jack Bendat wouldn't have sold the club to SEN or SEG if he didn't believe it was the right fit. Would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, I think we've um, gone through a process of getting to know uh, each other. And, you know, I've obviously uh, enjoyed relationships with the Wildcats forward and administration over the last couple of years through our basketball interests. And, and equally, I think, you know, it's, it's not unfair to say Jack wouldn't, wouldn't be, um, you know, isn't, a, isn't a, a willing seller. He, he knows that he, he needs to uh, protect his legacy for the next long time. I, I can't um, sing the praise of Jack enough in, in this process, but also the way he's been for the team. He wants this team to remain in Perth forever. He wants it to be a huge part of the community. Uh, in his words, it was important for him that the team who, who bought the, the those who bought the team, you know, had West Australian interests and uh, protected and be a part of the West Australian community. We certainly hope to be a, an even bigger part of the West Australian community. But the fact that our, our board is so entrenched in the town, I think, was part of the appeal for Jack. And he loves this team. You know, he really does. And um, you know, we're a bit humbled to take that that opportunity on. 
Hutchie, all the very best. I've already heard from a couple of former Wildcats who have said it's great news and it's fantastic for the sport and they're very excited about it. And, uh, you know, you're always going to get pushed back. People don't like change, in particular in Western Australia, but I think this change is for the better. Congratulations on that news and thanks for sharing your time with us here on Sporting Goss today. Thanks, Goss. Thanks, everybody. Craig Hutchison, SEN Chief Executive, just repeating the news, Sports Entertainment Group confirmed today it's signed an agreement to purchase 100% of the Perth Wildcats. And you heard there from Hutchie, straight up, that the SEN will be endeavouring to call all the Wildcats games. That can only be a good thing for increased coverage. But he also paid tribute to the current media and uh, those at 7, 9, 10. I'm sure the ABC also do cover off on the Wildcats as well and the West Australian Sunday Times. So he understands, and the other radio networks also, because we do have Wildcats on other radio networks. That might change. We might have to put a stop to that. We might have to get Bryce Cotton having his own show here on SEN. What do you think of it? I know there's trepidation. I know we don't like change, and we're a little bit Red Army one-eyed. But if you heard Hutchie there, not much is going to change. It's just going to increase the coverage and increase the investment as well. And Jack Bendat, as confirmed by a couple of our texts, there's no way Jack would have sold the Wildcats to the SEN group if they didn't think that they were going to handle it uh, with aplomb and with the true professionalism the club currently enjoys. Love to hear back from you. 0487 736 736 on our text line or 1312 55. It's 12 past 11. Let's get a breakaway. Come back with plenty more. Still waiting to hear from the Fremantle Football Club on today's announcement. We'll check in with them shortly. And also, a newcomer, Life of Riley, a young racing man who uh, actually got a a bit of a footy uh, uh, um, uh, background as well. And let me tell you that he will be joining us each and every Thursday to look ahead at the big race meeting on Saturday. We have a big racing audience here on SEN through our SEN track establishment and also here on SENWA. So Life of Riley, get your pen and paper ready. If you'd like to have a gamble, don't forget, always gamble responsibly. It's 13 past 11. 17 after 11. Three-quarter time, the Phoenix Suns and the LA Clippers. In the Western Conference, and it does look like the, unless there's a whole world about to change because one would imagine that it will be the Suns who will advance. A lot of negativity on social media. This is from Mike of Woodlands on the SMS. A lot of negativity on social media. Jack Bendat has been trying to sell for a couple of years. He ain't getting any younger. There are very few organisations that people can afford to buy a professional sporting franchise, let alone one of the most successful ones. We should consider ourselves lucky. We've been brought by a sporting company with a major, uh, I can't get that in there, a major sporting company. Let me just try and get this up here. Uh, we should consider ourselves very lucky. We've been bought by a sporting company with a major existing involvement in the Australian sporting market. And importantly, the majority of the board is WA based. Now we just need to revert to black and gold and get Emu Export <laughs> back on board. Good on you, Mike of Woodlands. Sorry, it was a very long text. I had to put my finger on the button. Uh, you make a, a very valid point there. Aaron Finch has spoken to the media 
of course, the Australians are now in the West Indies, the short form with Justin Langer. Had a lot to say, Finchie, about Justin Langer and the preparation for this t- trip overseas for the one days and the T20s. He's our short form captain. And he basically said in this interview, which you're about to hear in his grabs, that Justin Langer had to cop some criticism and he's done so, the coach, taken it on board. And for that, the entire group is truly grateful. Here's Aaron Finch on the Sporting Goals. Do you envisage over this run of matches, um, particularly if all 10 go ahead with the five in Bangladesh as well, trying to give as many players in this enlarged squad a game? In New Zealand, you kept quite a stable side. Do you, are, are, you, you, are you thinking about this tour any differently? Oh, I think there's there's a little bit of both. Um, we're, we're obviously wanting to win every game that we play, every series that we play. So that that's first and foremost our our absolute priority. So if there's a chance to gather some information along the way and, and maybe guys um, getting more of an opportunity, then, then we'll take that as it comes. But first and foremost, it's about winning. Just on the, obviously, you've got a new look sort of squad with you there. I'm just wondering if, as Skipper, you... You, you spoke to any of the guys who opted not to come to just sort of um, get an idea on their thinking. And obviously there's there's, there's uh, no guarantees that they get back in when the World Cup comes around and that sort of thing. Whether you actually spoke to them and um, got their views on um, why they didn't or did, didn't want to come? Yeah, there was honestly, it was all around the bubble fatigue. Um, guys having a long summer. I think when, you, when we go back to the start of the hubs and bubbles, um, to go from lockdown onto a tour of the UK to then IPL, a home summer, uh, a little bit of a break for some. Other guys were in New Zealand to then go to IPL again. It, it can wear you down a lot, to be honest. Um, so that, that was that was all it was. Uh, we understand that, that this is going to be the way of touring the world over the next couple of years, no doubt. Um, so it's just about guys trying to manage themselves and and making sure that they're giving themselves every opportunity to play for Australia. This is the uh, the first time uh, Justin and, and the broader squad has got together since reports about unease. Um, I was just wondering if that topic was raised at all by JL either upon landing or in any of those um, pre-departure meetings in Queensland. Yeah, over the couple of days in on the Gold Coast, we had a great camp there at the Royal Pines. Um, the ability for JL to address some issues that came up in the um, in the review with Tim Ford, I think that that was brilliant from him to tackle them head on and, and I suppose just put his side of the story, put his uh, spin on it, and, and I think just that, that shows the quality of the man that he's. Um, things that he's working on and, and we're, we're all behind him 100%. The way that he's coached Australia in the in the last couple of years since he's taken over has been fantastic. I think we've had some really good success as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's, no doubt it was quite confronting for him at the time, but but he took it head on and, and addressed that and it was, it was great. It was, it was very positive from our point of view. And in terms of those things to work on, what kind of stood out that he said he wanted to do a bit differently or what... Um... Yeah, is it just sort of seeking more feedback or, or what? Oh, I think that, that there was a combination of a few things. I think um, on the back of a lot of bubbles as well, I think that there was, there was he, he could have used his assistance a little bit better and just delegated in that regard. Um, but it, it was all, uh, there was nothing groundbreaking in it. It was, it was stuff that, that every player and every coach would would reflect on themselves and and he's no different he's he's done a fantastic job and and the way that that he confronted that and the way that it was received by the players was was outstanding 
before the 50 over World Cup. How do you feel you, the preparation is? Is it just something you've got to put up with because the world is the way it is? In a perfect world, you would you would have everyone available all of the time. But you understand, we have to understand that that guys are in, in different head spaces and, and guys have had a really long space of time on the road away from families. And, and I think what makes it so difficult at the moment is families not being able to just jump on a plane and travel with the team and, and travel with players as well. So it's just one of those things that we're going to have to manage players a little bit differently, I guess, over the coming 12 months, 24 months, however long that that this is this is the way that cricket is. Um, so I th- it just comes down to, oh, well, well, yes, it's not the perfect preparation. I think we're not alone in that. Uh, and it's just going to give us an opportunity to to continue to develop our depth and continue to find some more um, some more solutions and, and some more ways of doing things. Aaron Finch, the uh, short-form captain of Australia, speaking about the preparation and the inquiry too and the, uh, the review of the workings of the Australian cricket team through coaching and leadership. And he was pretty frank there and he's pretty excited about the future. If you don't know the score, look away now, 9.39 to go in the last. It is a 20-point lead to the Phoenix Suns over the LA Clippers. So it looks like the Suns are on their way to the big dance. 25 past 11, Nick Kyrgios. I woke up in the middle of the night. I don't know if you got up and watched it. I just heard it on uh, Wimbledon radio on the on the app. And it was a very, very gutsy performance by Nick Kyrgios. He spoke beautifully on court to the BBC. Here is the on-court interview with Nick Kyrgios after his five-set marathon to advance to the second round of Wimbledon. Well, Nick, we started this one under Tuesday night lights and we've ended up on Wednesday afternoon. Huge congratulations. You have played so little tennis, not just in the last six months, the last 18 months, to defeat such an informed player. Just sum it up for us. Yeah, not too bad for a part-time player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, but uh, he's an incredible kid. Um, he had a massive week last, uh, last week in Halle. He won that tournament. So I knew that I was uh, very, um, a massive underdog, um, but... It didn't take me much to get me off the couch in Canberra, Australia. Wimbledon's one of my favourite events, um, and I heard there was going to be some crowd. I love playing here, so it was an easy decision for me. But, yeah, I mean, I just want to say thanks for coming out last night, hanging around. I know there was a core change, but the atmosphere last night was one of my, my favourite memories, honestly. You know, obviously... We're all struggling with COVID and, you know, as, as a world, I think we're going to slowly overcome it, but it's, it's awesome to see you guys back out here. So it's exciting. And Nick, you talked about uh, Wimbledon and chill. You almost had too much time to chill yesterday. I think you were here for like 13 hours. You got on at eight o'clock. You probably got back to your hotel at like, what, one in the morning and then had to regroup physically, mentally. How tough is that to then come back out today? Um, yeah, it was tough. It was a long day at the courts yesterday. It started raining and I thought I was going to get cancelled and I smashed so much food. So I came out here, I was like, <laughs> I was, uh, I was in a, like, that's why I slow start, I think. But um, yeah, I got home late. Um, but honestly, I was in so much pain this morning physically. You know, it's been a while since I played. So I just honestly rolled into bed last night, got some sleep and then added again. But it's not easy. To, it's, it's very easy to get up for it. You know, having a full crowd out here, it was so much fun, honestly. You had a bit of a fallout there. Great to see you get back up physically um, after that one. You're fine heading into round two. I know you want to have a long run here. You said you're on a vacation. I'm not sure how much time you'll have for your vacation if you keep playing like this. Yeah, um, I'm just using it as a change of scenery, really. We wouldn't at all. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but uh, I'm not even thinking about that. You know, I'm just going to go to the hotel, probably play some Call of Duty with my girlfriend and just chill out, man, and then just come back out here and, and try and play again. That's Congra it. That's it. It's easy. simple. It's pretty easy. <laughs> as simple and as difficult as that. Huge congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so Thanks, much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Craig Hutchison is the CEO of the SEN Group, and we spoke to him earlier on the show, just confirming that we will be having new owners of the Perth Wildcats July 30. That is the breaking news today. So the breaking news is that the SE Sports Entertainment Group confirmed it has signed an agreement to purchase 100% of the Perth Wildcats. The Fremantle Dockers are heading to the MCG Saturday night, and as you just heard then, Nick Kyrgios is through to the second round of Wimbledon after a very, very gutsy win. I wonder if he was referring to Pat Rafter anywhere in that, being a part-time tennis player. Of course, don't forget tomorrow morning between 6 and 8, Gillian Goss. And uh, we've got our uh, Friday Focus, and it is with the New South Wales State of Origin coach, Freddie Fittler. So Gilly going one-on-one -on -one with Freddie Fittler. So if you're a rugby league fan or rugby like, you'll have the State of Origin of course, also be checking in with the Carlton Football Club ahead of taking on the Fremantle Dockers. And Dean Cox will join us from the Sydney Swans and a man who, of course, has a wonderful connection to the West Coast Eagles. The Eagles heading down to Geelong to take on the Swans. It is a, it is a very big show tomorrow between 6 and 8. Don't forget, you can always get catch-up as well on sen.com.au or wherever you get a good podcast. We'll get the news away. We'll come back. And out of the news... A new segment. You'll have it every Thursday here on Sporting Goss. The life of Riley as we look ahead to the race meeting on Saturday. Riley Morgan, a young man who knows his form, knows the racing, and he will try and dissect a winner or three. So get your pens ready for Saturday. He might even throw out a winner for this afternoon's meeting at Northam. Always gamble responsibly. Let's get some news away. Thank you, Ed. Back with more after the news. Back to Sporting Goss. We like to touch on the racing industry. We speak to jockeys, trainers, rainsmen, the whole lot, and people from the game of the gallops and the paces. And we've decided to become a bit regular with our tipping. And one man who is very, very humorous and gets pretty active on the social media is Rocket Riley Morgan. The life of Riley, we're going to call this segment. Morgs, how are you, mate? Good, guys. How are you, mate? Going really good. Now, just tell us a bit about your background and your love of the racing industry. And, you know, I, like, I know you like to have a little bit of a wager. You like to follow the form. You like to get out and about. Uh, always gamble responsibly. Tell us a bit about your background in racing. Oh, it probably stems from sort of family going back probably many years, being at the races because my old man and his um, brothers obviously had plenty of horses growing up. And just being there around the races, I sort of got the... Uh, Caught the bug pretty early, mate, and once I sort of had more time to uh, spend on it once school finished, it was uh, all systems go from there. Yeah, very true. All right, and you like to do the form and you watch video form, you look at prices, you do weights and you follow jockey. So we're going to try and dissect it. We're obviously previewing the Saturday meeting at Belmont. It's a big meeting too, as we know it is the Oaks and the Aquanita on Saturday. We're not going to dissect every race. We are going to dissect the best of what you've got and you want to kick it off in race one. Yes, kicking it off in race one, I think, Goss. It's a pretty um, it's a pretty open race, but um, I sort of landed on Bollinger Boy for us in the opening race over the mile. I think he's a horse that's pretty low-flying for the Adam Durrant yards. 
we go back to his last start behind another horse he meets here in Street Fair. He was pretty unlucky not to have beaten that runner who he now gets a little small weight swing on. The start prior, he was probably a tad slow away, but he was by far the best close of the race. He gets one and a half kilos here from Speedy Miss, who he also meets here, up to a much more suitable trip. I think map-wise, he should land on the back of Speedy Miss in the run and be every chance and prove really hard to beat at over $4 quote. Nice. So race one, number two, Bollinger Boy for Adam Durant, Clint Johnston Porter, one of the form jockeys of WA at the moment. We're talking life of Riley for the meeting at Belmont Saturday. Let's go to race four. You've got a bit of a value here. Yeah, a bit of value here. I think this is by far the best suited race or prep for We've Got Dreams. It's probably pending on how sort of dried out the track gets between now and then. But given the rain we got last night, it's looking a little bit more concerning than probably what I had originally had, had in mind. But drops down in grades, what's a much easier field, gets back onto a drying track and gets a map where she can stroll to the top here and nothing will give her any pressure and it's probably the best map she's found all prep so far. With the claim for Lactar, who is riding very well mm. at the moment, she gets in the same weight she carried last start in a 78 plus. And I absolutely love Lacto on a front runner. I think he rates them absolutely beautifully. And at double figures, you're going to get a very good sight. Yeah, nice. Race four at number five. And you've also marked down number seven, Brooklyn Pierre. Explain that to the listeners. Um, so she took a big step up in grade from a 60-plus up to a 78-plus last start. And she was well well supported in the market. And she was far from disgraced. And I think she's even better suited back to the 1,000 metres here. If we go two starts back, his first up win over this trip rated incredibly well and was in very fast time. And even though it may look a little bit sticky from the draw, I think a positive ride from Stevie Parnham should be able to land him one off outside Lipstick Flickers. And from there, he's going to get a lovely run. And the chasers, the likes of your Miss Frost and your Amasinas are going to have their work cut out to gun him down, I think. A little unknown is the soft track, which she hasn't seen yet, but he's tried well on a soft track, so I don't think it should be of too much concern. Regular part of our show from this day going forward will be the life of Riley. Riley Morgan with his best for the weekend on Saturday at Belmont. Now, race five in the program, Holly Watson, fresh from riding her first Metro midweek double yesterday, of course, uh, indentured to the Mayor of Subiaco, Simon Miller. She got a handy ride, a bit of weight relief for number one timely outburst, and that's where you're looking now. Yeah, and that's where we'll start, um, Goss, because this is terrific use of Holly Watson from SJ. And not that Nicole Hopwood's done anything wrong with her so far this prep, but I absolutely love this jockey change. Three kilogram, three three kilogram claim for arguably probably the most informed apprentice in the state at the moment. She's riding winners for fun. She's proven on the outburst that she's a very smart filly, and all the form around her backs us up. If we look through the likes of the Spruker, Graceful Girl, and more recently last weekend with Vane Tempest, the new challenge I think though is going to be the fourteen hundred metres. But I'm pretty I'm pretty confident she's going to get it. Alrighty, so race five, number one, timely outburst, Holly Watson. Yep, absolutely, on top of her game. Now, your next is in the list, Aquanita, goes race eight, and you're again going for the top weight, Kerman Rock. Now, Kerman Rock, I know, finished second behind She's a Charmer, and She's a Charmer is going to go around uh, one of the red-hot fancies in the previous race to that, the Belmont Oaks, uh, of course, for Bernie Miller. So, Kerman Rock, the, uh, the form reads pretty well. This is what you're going for here in the Aquanita. Yeah, the form does read pretty well. It's a pretty underwhelming field for a listed race, but I love the run from Kerman Rock in the Guineas when he closed really hard after being briefly chopped out at the top of the straight to finish only a length of drift of She's a Charmer, who, as you've already stated, starts a pretty hot favourite in the in the Oaks of the race prior. 
The key for me here is that I love that he's proven at a staying trip. And if we go back to April, he's run a terrific third in the WATC Derby, only beating a length behind Western Empire over the 2,400. And the rest of these are queries so far at this trip. And if you get six loose, you should be able to blend him in behind the front pair. And he just looks a great bet for me at anything around that sort of $4 mark. Nice work. So uh, the life of Riley for Belmont Saturday, race one, number one, Bollinger Boy. Then we go down to race four. Good value here. Number five, we've got dreams with a watch on the seven, Brooklyn Pier. In race five, it's the top weight timely outburst for Holly Watson. And in race eight, it's number one, Kerman Rock for Chris Willis Stable. If you were to have a little wager at the Avon Valley Northern meeting today, uh, not a great lot of value, but where did the punters want to have a look? Throw us out a couple just quickly. Yeah, it's not looking like a great sort of value meeting for me, Goss. I had a bit of a gaze over it yesterday, but... There's a couple shortish horses that I think should prove very hard to beat in races six and seven, and that is Go Bella from the Flying Steph Bakrinich Yard and Material Witness for the Wizard William Pike in race seven as well. I think that's a nice little double if you want to have a bet at Northern today, and they two horses that'll prove very hard to beat. I think, mate. Nice work. Gamble responsibly. Go Bella race six. Material Witness. Race seven. Nice work, Kurt Riley Morgan. We'll make this a regular every Thursday at the same time here on the Sporting Goss. Happy punting. Always gamble responsibly. And let's hope you can get to the track on Saturday. Thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, Goss. Thanks for having me, mate. There is Riley Morgan. He's going to be a regular on our show going forward. He knows his stuff. You can follow him on social media. It's Riley, R-Y-L-I-E. Or you can follow him also through our links here on the Sporting Goss and SENWA. Well, the WA Golf Tour and the Pro-Am Tour has found its way in the north over the last couple of weeks. In the northwest, the broom furnishing carpet paint and tile Pro-Am. It's a mouthful. It's still an event. And a young pro from Mandra Country Club got a piece of the action, Braden Becker, and he's been kind enough to join us on Sporting Goss. Congratulations, Braden, on getting a piece of the pie. Yeah, thanks, Timmy. So you share the win with uh, Brady Watt and, uh, of course, Daniel Fox as well, another two West Aussies who, who know how to get a, uh, amongst it. Um, what did you make of the tournament, the course, and, and sharing the spoils with a couple of well-known West Aussies? Um, obviously, to, to share it with, with Foxy and, and, and Brady, obviously Brady being an expert in the morning amateur, and then Foxy being as good as he, he is, you know, winning a couple of tournaments as well. So to share it with him was, was, was pretty awesome just to, just to know that I've got it, you know. Um, but obviously, Broom, I've been up here the last oh, five, six, seven years now playing this event, and I've always sort of come close, but I haven't been able to get over the line and uh, managed, managed to do it this time around, obviously, with a tie. Um, so, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Obviously, Broom is, Broom is a pretty awesome place. So if you haven't been to Broom, you should. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was interesting because we, we with this morning on uh, Gillian Goss here on SEM, we were watching the... Uh, eight-hole playoff at the Travellers' Championship. No playoff uh, up there. What, what, why is there no playoff in that event? Um, being uh, being a pro-am, um, they basically say that, obviously, the money for, for first place is going to be shared either way around the uh, between, obviously, all the ties. Um, if we did have a playoff, it, it would be um, for, uh, for for pride only, effectively, like no, no extra money. So we just basically said, look, we're in Broome. We're having a good time. We're uh, we're going to uh, just just chill out and get it just just share it out. Um, however, obviously after Prezos was done, we did all the speeches and all the thank yous, obviously to all the sponsors for Broom Cup Tile and that. Um, we had an unofficial uh, an unofficial uh, 
playoff from uh, actually just from down below the, the new clubhouse that they've built here in Broome <laughs> down to the A's green. It was just announced a pin through that. And our uh, first person to hit the green, the closest, was uh, was going to take the win, which uh, unfortunately I hit a two really good shots. Both of them went, went over the back of the green down the hill there, but Brady Watt ended up uh, hitting it fairly close. So we'll have uh, to give the unofficial win of the but uh, everyone knows who got the, <laughs> got the bigger check. Uh, nice work. Braden Becker, our guest, a young pro from Mandra Country Club. Uh, look, you, you started out solid, but, you know, it was nothing out of the ordinary. You started that round, your second round, of course, uh, with nine straight pars. But there was an eagle on the on the par five seventeenth, which uh, certainly got you back into into uh, winning contention. Yeah, it was uh, it was good because I started out on the uh, seventh hole, so I just I knew that that little stretch was quite tricky. Um, being the seventh is obviously you know, quite a tricky par three, quite an easy par five eight. That's pretty much the only birdie stretch for uh, a birdie hole, like gimme birdie hole, I suppose for mm. for quite a while. Obviously, I only managed to par it. But then nine's really tough par three, 10's a really long par four, 11's a really tricky green, 12's a tricky, 13, 14, 15. You don't really get around till 16, 17, 18, 1, 2, because it sort of starts to even up up in Broome if anyone's actually played the golf course. It's quite tricky. Anyway, so then I get, I birdied 16. I thought, you know what, I'm getting there. I had obviously had a look at the live leaderboard, saw that Brady was absolutely killing it, but he, I noticed where he started. He started out on the 16th hole. So he played 16, 17, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And he actually managed to play those holes in like six under. He, off, he was off to an absolute fly. I probably had 59 watch on his head. Um, but I, obviously, I also knew I had uh, I had those holes to play to finish. So I thought, you know, if I can sort of get going from 16 onwards, then uh, I should be able to get the win outright. Um, made a nice birdie on 16 and eagled 17. Hit a, a really good five on in on the par five to about 10 feet and then rolled that in for Eagle and then uh, had a bit of a brain fade on 18 where I hit it out of bounds on the path. Oh, no. <laughs> Obviously, that was after I got into the time of the lead. So then I was like, well, I guess I just made par, you know, I just went par par those last two holes, in, you know, in, in effect. So but, you, um, do you yeah, walk off? Yeah, chance. okay, okay. And so do you yeah. walk Do you walk off thinking you gifted it, the, the outright win to, to, well, the shared win to the others or do you feel like you still walk away going, you know, I'm lucky to take a piece of that pie. No, no, I'm definitely happy to happy to obviously share it, uh, but also I had quite a nice stretch of holes to finish. You know, because I still had to play one, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. and I basically had really good birdie looks on all of them. Um, I was just unfortunately not to make any of them. The, uh, the greens were obviously quite tricky to, to hold a putt on, and uh, I think everyone struggled, which obviously. The winning score being only three on the par, I think that sort of shows it. It was also very windy, so the ball was sort of being blown around on the, uh, mm. the greens up here as well. So it was. I think it was everyone was finding it tricky. So yeah, patience was definitely the, uh, the key. So you've played uh, all the pro am series from Dunsmore right through to that final weekend uh, to, to the weekend up in Broome. Overall, happy with yeah. the way it all has unfolded for you. Yeah, generally it was pretty good. So we actually started, the first one was actually at Quinana on the 20th. Yes, that's right. Just off the top of my head. Yeah, so we played Quinana, then we played Cottesloe Open, then we played uh, Yokine, Lakeland, then we went down south. Oh, actually, then we played Wembley, which I actually managed to win that one as well. So that was nice. Nice. Um, So that was Wembley. And then I was feeling like the game was there. It was, was, you know, obviously I just had a win, so I was pretty happy with it. Went down south to Capel, Dunsborough, Bunbury, and then eventually up to Jelton, Carrara, Poor Headland. And I really just sort of 
I fell off the wagon a bit. The, the driver just wasn't wasn't behaving, and I couldn't. I was just struggling to find the fairway, and I was sort of very emotional. <laughs> I was like, "Where's it gone?" Um, managed to actually hit. <laughs> I hit a bad tee shot on the second round in Port Hedland, and on the second round, the first shot of the day. But it was completely different to what I'd been doing for the previous sort of ten days. And I thought, you know what? That's it. I'm back. Managed to obviously turn that into an eight under round of 64 to finish uh, in a tighter uh, ninth. Um, but obviously then going into Broome where it is a very tricky demanding course off the tee. So to know that my driver, my driver back, I, I thought, you know what, we're on here. So managed to carry that through. <laughs> and you're staying in Broome because this afternoon you've got a, you've, you've got a wedding with a, a, a fellow pro. Yeah, I got one, uh, Jason Shalou's wedding. So obviously you know, to anyone listening that knows Jason, uh, it is wedding today, and I've been gifted with the uh, the best man and the best man speech. So a <laughs> uh, little bit of stress going on, but um, no, nah, it should be good. He's a he's a really really good fellow, good friend of ours, and um, yeah, wish him all the best. Was it always planned that the tournament would be up there, or I mean, I'm pretty sure this wedding was called off from last year because of COVID. And uh, so, just tell us a bit about how it all sort of wound up in Broome. Was it always the plan? You said, "Well, this is part of the the Pro Am series. We might as well do it up here." Yeah, correct. Because a lot of the people that were invited, they're all golf pros as well. So the opportunity was there for them to sort of they got uh, engaged in Exmouth and and Courtney. Uh, she's originally a Port Hedland girl. Um, she wanted to have the wedding uh, up in Cape Croydon, if anyone knows that sort of party roadhouse between Port Hedland and Broome, but then straight out to the beach. It's a really, really nice spot, but it was just it was just sort of really sort of logistically hard to get everyone there, busing and accommodation and stuff like that. So they obviously made the switch to Broome. Um, this was obviously two two years ago. So that the plan was to obviously have the program, uh, have the program, then the wedding a couple of days later last year. <laughs> And of course, the pro never went ahead because of uh, obviously all the COVID stuff. Um, so then that's fine. We'll just reschedule for next year. And obviously, in the meantime, they've, they've actually welcomed uh, their young daughter, uh, Isla. They thought, you know what, we'll get on with life. We'll have a kid, have a baby. So yeah, they've now got a couple months old baby. Um, and uh, yeah, so now we've got a got a, got a wedding. Good stuff. That's nice. So that's happening yeah. up in Broome. So and and just last one before we let you go, we're chatting with Braden Becker, who was who was a young pro from the Mandra Country Club. And speaking of Mandra Country Club, your Mandra Club mate Jason Scriven now in the world top one hundred ranking as always. Currently, I think he's around ninety five, doing some good things not only in the states but in particular on the European tour. Uh, just in regards to where you, where do you go next? So forget the wedding. So the wedding gets taken care of. Well, don't forget the wedding, but take taken care of this afternoon. <laughs> where do you go in regards to the golfing world for you? Obviously, we're 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 awaiting what's going to happen COVID wise. But where do you plan on playing your golf? next yeah the, the, obviously the plan was to actually go to european Q school in end of august we've actually got another one of the golf pros wedding uh in adelaide um <laughs> at the end of august and then i was supposed to go straight from there down to melbourne hopefully to, to play european Q school first stage yeah and uh and european Q school has actually been called off for this year so it's sort of another year on the wings waiting for for a Q school to open up for us to to go and actually get try and get some status back on a main tour. So I think my plan is to maybe think about Japan in a hurry. Uh, hopefully that still goes ahead. They haven't turned that down just yet. So that might be that might be the next sort of leg to, to sort of try and follow down. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, I'm pretty much just waiting waiting on another year. We do have obviously that the main Aussie tour actually starts sort of in August up in Darwin. But um, then we start the WA Open, WA PGA, and the rest of the Aussie Tour 
uh, in October. So it's going to be pretty much flat out between October and the end of March. We've mm-hmm. obviously you know, uh, Vic Open, Aussie Open, Aussie PGA, um, all those big events at the end of the year, which, uh, which should be really good to play again. Yeah, good stuff. Well, you're in some form, and that's great. And you sound confident. Yep. You sound up and about. Good luck this afternoon. Don't stuff it up. Don't swear during your speech. And remember, it's not about you. It's about them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Thanks for the advice. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. You're a good fellow. Congratulations on the win on the weekend up there in yeah. Broome. Enjoy this afternoon, Braden. Thanks, Tim. Braden Becker, young pro from Mandra, great stuff, finishing in a share of the win at the Northwest, the broom furnishing, carpet, paint and tile pro-am up there. And he has, as you mentioned, from deep in the south of Dunsborough all the way up to Broome, everywhere in between. Uh, he's been on a journey with all the WA golfing pros and it has been a remarkable tour for all of them. And he has got a piece of it. And I've got a feeling he might be uh, just around the corner from his own individual win and it might be a very big one. We'll be following Braden Becker's progress, I'm sure. This is the Sporting Goss. That completes another show. Just a reminder, Fremantle are playing Saturday night against Carlton, the MCG. You hear all the action on AFL Nation. And the SEG group confirmed today they had signed an agreement to purchase 100% of the Perth Wildcats. That will be ticked off, subject to NBL approval, July 30. Adam Gilchrist is in the studio. He's in the studio. Didn't you, Michael? You're not getting paid for this segment, but... Uh... That's him. There you go, mate. Hi, Adam. <laughs> I just turned my mic off so I didn't interrupt your show, mate. Thanks for dropping in. What are you doing here? I'm about to uh, get stuck into my my interview, my Friday focus that you challenged to me on Monday morning. You, you left me with free reign, didn't you? How'd you go? I've, I've done very well. Yeah. It'd be well, well worth I'm diversifying a little bit across the sports. Yeah, so you're going with Freddie Fittler. Well, we're going to announce it. People will watch, listen to the radio okay. tomorrow. All right, I was going to tease it. That's going to be a really <laughs> no. yeah, New South Wales State of Origin winning coach, Australian legend yeah, he is. of the very, NRL very variety. Very good. What else is on our show tomorrow morning between six and eight? Gillian Goss. We're going to hear from. I've got to get this right, don't I? Simon Garlic. Dockers, I know you're going to run a little blooper of mine in there before we get him on air tomorrow, but <laughs> it'll be interesting action. to hear from uh, hear from him what's going on over there. Would you say the Dockers Saturday night? Dean Cox, yeah, Saturday night MCG. Dean Cox will join us in the Sydney Swans. We'll chat with Carlton I'm as chasing well. chasing Pat Cripps too. We are chasing Paddy Cripps as well. If we can get him. We'll get him. We'll, we'll get, get him. Yeah, I think we'll get him too. Nice work. Well done, Special Kate. Well done, Alex. Do it again tomorrow. Six till eight. Gillian Goss.